Hi, Pastor Anthony here. At Vintage Faith Church, we stand behind the Bible's claim to be the Word of God, and we believe that the Scriptures contain everything needed for life and godliness. The Scriptures testify to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray that this recording stirs your faith towards that end. This is in no way meant to be a substitute for the local church gathering, which we believe is critical to your growth as a Christian and your walk with Christ. We pray that you will find the sermon edifying and challenging. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Yeah, it's going to be hard to follow Donna. Where's energy? I like it. Make me feel tired, actually. I don't have that kind of energy this morning, I can tell you that. Um, all right, so before we get going, I, I just wanted to, to say a word. Um, obvi- the overturning of, of Roe v. Wade. Um, yeah, pray, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, it's good and right for us to, to, to have joy and to celebrate um, that. And, and I know that that's not easy in a culture that, that doesn't celebrate it. Um, but it is good and right. And, and, and lest you think, hey, you know, Pastor, why are you getting political? This is, this is political, but this is moral. This is all people made in the image and likeness of God. Um, it is the overturning of those with no voice, those with no way to escape um, being murdered. So we, we praise God. Just to read a few scriptures for you, Proverbs 24:11. This is God's word. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. That is, as Christians, a charge to us. Ephesians 5.11 says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So the Christians have been doing this for 50 years, as long as, as Roe has been happening. And, and again, praise God that this has been overturned. It's good and right um, that it has happened. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for that news. And, and Lord, as... We, oh, it has been two years of craziness and the world seems to be just being upended and in the midst of what just feels like everything going in the wrong direction, we have this news. So help us as Christians to to rejoice in this news. Help us to be salt and light in this conversation and not add to the anger and the vitriol that is happening online, Lord. Help us to, to maybe engage people that, that we know face-to-face over coffee and, and tell them the hope of the gospel through um, this conversation. So, Lord, we ask that you, you lead us and guide us, and as we open up your word this morning and, and look at your amazing grace, speak to our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. So, we have to ask, as we look at Ephesians 1, or 2, 1, 1 to 10, um, 
What, what is the problem with humanity? That's, that's really the question before us today. What is wrong with the world? What is wrong with humanity? What is the answer? Alistair Begg says it <clears throat> like this. Humanity as it confronts the predicament of the human condition has all kinds of suggestions as to how it can be fixed. But that is in large measure because contemporary notions of the state of man are unprepared to give any credence at all to this diagnosis, the one we're gonna look at today, whereby the Bible tells us that outside of Christ we are dead, enslaved, and we are condemned. Doesn't sound very good, and it isn't good. In fact, it is dreadful. That is the biblical diagnosis of humanity. Whether you like it or not, whether you call yourself a Bible-believing Christian or not, there's absolutely no way around it. It is in the Bible. It is in just about every book of the Bible. It is there. All you need to do is open the Bible and read, and you will see that is the diagnosis of mankind. It's not that, that we're just a little misguided, as many think we are, and, and what's going to fix the problems is more education, better schools, better education. If we could just educate people, people will, will, will be pretty good. That is not the case. The Bible says a big no to that. It is not that, that men and women are evolving and if we just take enough time and, and sooner or later, with the help of technology, we'll conquer death, we'll, we'll conquer war, all this stuff will be behind us and we'll be living in um, paradise. The Bible absolutely rejects that idea. And it's not even that men and women are just a little rebellious and if we had the right laws and we had the right politics and we had the right legislation that men and women would be okay. That is all good, but that is not the answer. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, we have this feeling that we weren't meant for this. We don't like it. We want to be delivered from it. This is ultimately the cause of all quests in the lives of men and women. We are all searching for some solution to the problems of life. We are all seeking for some way out of some impasse. Every one of you, everyone that has ever walked the face of the earth is restless, trying to figure out, how do I get out of this impasse? And the question is, what is the impasse? What is it? As you, you guys, some of you know, I was recently in the ER uh, with a kidney stone. And they, they bring you in and, and, you know, sit you down, hook you up to an IV. They, they hooked me up to an EKG. They did all the tests. They're, they're looking at me. I think at one point they thought maybe heart, something's going on with my heart. 
I knew at that point. I, I knew it was a kidney stone. I wasn't worried. But they had to check and they had to, to do everything. They had to diagnose me. In fact, they put me into, uh, many of you have been in this, not an MRI, but a, a CT scan. So they, they scanned my body into this tube. And then it came back and they said, oh, yeah, you, you've got a kidney stone. And after that, they knew how to treat me. And until we get what is wrong with ourselves, our own hearts, humanity, we can never treat the problem correctly. Romans 3, 19 to 20 says it like this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So God's law operates like that CT scan that I had, like that MRI that you, you have had, and the law simply shines God's light into our lives and hearts and says to every one of us, sick. And not just sick. It's going to say something much worse. And we have to, to come to terms with this as Christians because we are not only Christians, but we're what I would call post-enlightenment Christians and modern 2022 Christians who we've been discipled by the world in a very different way than, than generations before us. Our discipleship by the world has kind of patted us on the back and said, you're good, don't worry about it, you've got a ton of potential, one day you're going to tap into that. But again, the Bible just doesn't give us this. It doesn't give us that, that lie. It, it, it almost, in a, in a just brutal way, goes after it at every turn when you read it to pick that lie apart. Let's read from Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 that Evan just read. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. In which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Ooh, let that sink in for a moment. And again, I, I know as I read this that there's some of you in here that you just, you, you, it's almost like you want to stick your head in the sand. You don't want to believe that that's true. You're, you might even be thinking it must mean something else. Pastor, it can't mean what you're about to say that it means. Paul here is saying we were utterly dead in our sins at one time, in bondage to three things. 
the devil. If you see that right in the text, the prince of the power of the air, that is the devil. The deceiver, he's the tempter, he's the liar. So at some point before you knew Christ, the devil's lies, you couldn't spot any of them. It's hard enough to spot them now when, as a believer, but there was a point in your life where they just weren't lies, they were truth to you. We're all in bondage at one point to the devil. The second thing that we were in bondage to was the ways of the world. The, 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 the text says the course of this world. The worldly ways that are contrary to God's ways. It doesn't take much thinking to just look out there and see what are the ways of the world. Well, one of the ways of the world right now is there are people very angry at the overturn of Roe v. Wade. And there are many ways of the world, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh. The third thing that, that we were in bondage to was our sinful nature. It says here, in the, uh, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And all these things together just added up to we were dead and under the wrath of God. The wrath of God, the anger, the, the right justice of God was upon us, was on us. Frank Thielman talks about this term nature. He says, by nature we were children of wrath. He says, the term nature referred to the condition into which someone was born. The use of the word here often meant by birth. Paul uses the term here, therefore, to emphasize that although unbelieving human beings are culpable for their sinful cravings, desires, and thoughts, they have chosen this path inevitably in agreement with the state into which they were born. So this is the biblical view of this. And again, this might be new to some of you. Original sin, you were born in sin. Your will is effectively in bondage to sin. You are certainly free to sin. You are not free to choose God. You are free to sin, and you're going to sin. You want to sin. You're free to sin. It's in alignment with your nature. And Paul says, God was not pleased. I don't know if you've ever thought that about your life and, and thought about when you came to faith. And maybe you haven't come to faith yet, so you haven't pondered these things, but have you ever thought that there was a moment, there was a time in your life where you were under God's divine displeasure and justice? Because if you don't get that, if that doesn't come somehow into your understanding of God, you can't sing about amazing grace. We can't worship and, and talk about, thank you, Jesus, and thank you for saving me. Saving you from what? What did he save you from? Again, they, they, they go together. I, I know that it can feel, our instincts feel, if we just take this wrath thing out of the equation, focus on God's love, all the better. More people will come to faith, more people. But that, that is a, that's a, it's a wrong instinct. You take that out of the equation and, and you've just taken grace 
right away. You've removed it. All right, let's keep going. Ephesians 2, 4 to 5, these are the, the beautiful but God statements that we have in the Bible. He never leaves us at, at, at the place of bad news, ever. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. You were dead. God made you alive. Praise God, right? This is why we worship him. This is why we're here and we're singing songs. We were dead. We were lost and now we're found. We were blind. Now we see. We were dead and now we are alive. This is not from anything we have done. It's the mercy of God. And I know many of you um, might have this idea, this picture in your mind, and, and I wanna, I, I'm gonna put a, you, you hear me use the term from time to time, um, and it's gonna be a, a day like that, of putting a pebble in your shoe. Um, and pebbles can sometimes turns into, turn into rocks, right? You get a pebble in your shoe and you're like, this is just annoying. I don't like this pebble in my shoe. I'm gonna put some pebbles in your shoe today. Um, you don't have to agree with me, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna put them in um, uh, because I think it's, it, it's, it's for your good. Um, I believe that as your pastor. So I often hear this picture of God saving us and uh, it, on this text and it's like you're drowning, drowning, and uh, you're about to go down and you lift up your hand and Jesus takes your hand and he, he pulls you out. Um, but, but Paul's not leaving that option for us here today. He's saying we were dead and God made us alive. That's right there in the text. We were dead. He's not saying we were struggling and God brought us uh, to, to better life and, and propped us up. He is saying we were dead and God made us alive. So the picture is more like we were drowning and Jesus jumps in the water and picks us up and brings us completely out and then resuscitates us and brings us to life. That's the picture that Paul is, is drawing here. Let me bring your attention to a story that we're all familiar in the Gospels that I think illustrates this well. Um, Jesus had a family that, that he loved. Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. And you all know, most of you know the story. Um, Lazarus dies, and the disciples tell Jesus, and Jesus says, let's wait. He hasn't died yet, actually. He's sick, and Jesus says, wait. Wait, wait two days. They wait two days. They go to see him. He's dead. Mary and Martha are crying. Um, Jesus approaches the tomb, says, roll away the stone. And they say, it's, his body's going to stink. There's going to be an odor. He's been dead for four days, dead, stinking dead. Jesus prays to the Father, walks up, to the tomb, and then it said here, John 11, 43 to 44. When he had said these things, he cried out, he, Jesus, with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
The man who has died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. God calls to all of us in different ways. God calls to, to all of creation. Uh, Romans 1 says, it, it is clear that there is a God. You can look at, at, the, at, at the, 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 the trees and the forests and you, you look at all of creation and it is clear, this is God saying, I have created you. God calls through that. God calls through the conscience. Every human being knows at some level what is right and what is wrong. That conscience can get seared, but at some level we all know what is right and what is wrong. And God calls right now through the preaching of his word. But I can tell you from my experience and from what the Bible says, none of these are enough to bring a dead man to life. As a preacher, I've witnessed countless people bored by, by the word of God, unmoved by the preached word, which is a call. You know many people, you may be one of them, unmoved by creation. And often our conscience can speak to us and we can just deny it anyway. There's an inner call from God that can't be resisted. A call from God where he actually calls you by name. By name. Just like he called Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come out. And if you know Jesus, that's happened to you. Jesus Christ, God has called you by name and you just got up because he called you. That's the picture here that, that Paul is painting. Sinclair Ferguson says, in our unrenewed, so this is before we come to faith, before the inward call condition, we all resist, we always resist, we inevitably resist, and we cannot do other than resist. He's talking about the bondage of the will. This is Romans 6. If you want to look at any scripture, to, to, I don't have it today, but Romans 6, just look at that. We were once slaves to sin. Now we're slaves to righteousness. This is called the bondage of the will. You can hear the gospel preach. Your conscience can speak to you all day long. You can look at creation, but until God calls you by name, you won't experience life. And some of you right now, he's calling you. He's calling you by name. Has he called you by name? Has he called you? Do you know him? Do you love him? Do you see his beauty? All right, let's go on with, with what Paul is saying here, Ephesians 2, 6 to 7. He's going to pivot a little here and, and kind of um, get off of the saved by, by grace uh, theme a little. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So here we have again, if you remember chapter one, in Christ. If, does anyone remember how many times Paul said in Christ in chapter one? A lot, a lot. I think it's a, like 11 times. In Christ, all of the blessings that we have 
are because we're united with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So just a little thought on that. In the coming ages, this is like Jesus talks about the age to come, the, the resurrection. We're still going to be learning about the immeasurable riches of God's glorious grace and kindness towards us. It will never end. It will never run out. We will never have it all. Uh, Richard Koken says this, we are, we are already seated with Christ in a position of unique authority in the heavenly realms. In full view of the defeated satanic powers, like places reserved at a wedding banquet in accordance with the groom's seating plan, seats are reserved for us at his wedding feast. Isn't that beautiful? There are seats reserved for his people. You have the victory now. Last week we looked at the immeasurable power that was working towards us. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. You have the victory. But I want to focus a little bit on how we can experience this victory now, how we can taste a little bit of heaven now. And this is going to tie back to last week. If you weren't here last week, um, our sermons are recorded. They are online. Um, so at the end of last week, Paul got into the church. The book of Ephesians is going to spend six to seven weeks on the church. One of the main themes in Ephesians is not just that you were saved, you were called, and you were saved. It was you were saved, you were called, and you were saved into this new humanity called the church. Paul focuses on it right in the middle of the letter. It's a, it's a big focus. And last week, we, we looked at the church being the embassy of heaven. It's a place where we can taste the new humanity. It's a place where we can taste now being raised up with him in the heavenly places. Let's read the, one of the same quotes we looked at last week <clears throat> from Jonathan Lehman. It says, Jesus established a link, a chain, a typological connection between your church and heaven. Your church is type, like that little communion wafer is a type of bread. And your church is pointing towards, representing, speaking for, demonstrating, living out the first fruits of something greater, which is, which is heaven, which is the antitype, heaven. And that link between the two is there by divine design. What is a gathered church? It's an embassy of heaven. So brothers and sisters, I would just... Um, when you read texts like this, being raised up and seated in the heavenly places, I would say there's a practical way to experience that, and that's just through the gathered church, through relationships in the church, through worship on Sunday, the gathered church. And we, we looked at this idea last week. Are you underestimating the role of the local church in your discipleship 
and walk. I would really press you. Some of you, that, for, that's a pebble. That's a pebble in, in your shoe. Um, I, I would press you. I, what, what do you, how do you view the church? Not, there's a universal church, but the universal church plays out in local assemblies. And for others, I would say, uh, maybe you need to be challenged here on baptism. Have you come to faith? Because Jesus talks about discipleship, and he says, my disciples, the first thing, what is the first thing a disciple does? Get baptized. baptized. A disciple is baptized. So um, I would just press on you. Here's another pebble in, in, the, in the shoe for some of you. Have you been baptized by immersion? It is a public declaration that you have left behind the three enemies, the world, the, the, the devil, and your flesh, and you've died to that, and you're raised to new life in Christ. It's a public declaration of that. Some of you need to take that step. And I would just say, if you're wrestling with it, that the church is blessed when it happens. The church is blessed when it happens. You will be blessed when you do it. All right, let's keep going, following Paul's argument. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So he's doubling back now here on grace. Paul is all about grace. Ephesians 1 through 2, it's all about grace, all about it. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. As Christians, we should be the humblest groups and group of people out there. We can't boast. We know the God of the universe. We proclaim the God of the universe, but there's no boasting. It's nothing that we have done in any way, shape, or form. And here's going to be a pebble and a rock in some of your shoes. And, and, and I say that just because I know it, it was for me at some point in my walk. But I would go so far as to say even your faith is a gift from the Lord. John Piper says this. When Paul says, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from you, it is the gift of God. Part of his meaning is that our faith is a gift of God. It is a divine creation. It is the work of grace when we were dead. It is not from ourselves. Therefore, our faith is the mark of being chosen. Remember when he was talking about chosen and predestination and adoption. These, it's all in the text. I know these are hard things, but it's there. He chose to give us faith. The whole world, a the whole theology hangs on a word. This is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. That is, faith is not from yourself, faith is a gift of God. To believe this changes everything. It changes everything. And brothers and sisters, if you're kicking back against this, I said it a few weeks ago, I would just say you're doing it to your own peril. It's your own peril that you would kick back against this. Think about it. Your, your whole life is a gift. Your breath is a gift. Everything is a gift. Yes, it's your faith. Yes, it's your will. I'll, I'll give you that. It's yours. But not until Jesus changes our heart. To the Holy Spirit 
takes our stony heart and makes it a heart of flesh. Remember, Jesus said nobody can even see the kingdom unless they've been born again. How do you have faith in something you can't see? You don't. If you have faith, you've seen it. If you're exercising faith in the Lord, you have seen the kingdom, and that means that God has been working in, in you. And I, again, I know not everyone is with me on that, but just see it as a pebble in your shoe. Um, maybe, and I pray it turns into a rock. <laughs> it did in, in, in my life. Um, J.I. Packer says this regarding these two ways to look at this text. It says, one makes salvation depend on the work of God, the other on a work of man. One regards faith as part of God's gift of salvation, the other as man's own contribution to salvation. One gives all the glory of saving believers to God, the other divides the praise between God, who, so to speak, built the machinery of salvation, and man, who by believing, operated it. Paul is going through great lengths. Again, read chapter 1. It is, he is not leaving any stone unturned to say this is all from God. Three times he says to the praise of his glory, not our glory, his glory, to the praise of his glorious grace. It is all about the Lord. I have a good friend in, in, in my life who 11 years ago challenged me on this um, and allow me to throw another pebble or rock in your shoe. I know you don't have any choice. I'm, I'm up here talking and you're listening, but um, forgive me. Um, he made me angry when he said it. My wife can attest to this. Um, but I had to wrestle with it. It took me years to wrestle, but now I see the beauty in it like anything. It, it's unlike anything I've seen in the Bible, and you see it from Genesis to Revelation. But here's the question. Here's the, the rock in your shoe. When Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, he said, right, at the, right before he died, he said, it is finished. It's done. At that point, what was finished? Did he merely open a way for you to choose God? Or at that moment, did Jesus lovingly secure the salvation of you and all of God's people on the cross at that moment saying, it is finished, it is done? And I would just say, I know the majority opinion is, is not what, what I'm preaching today. I get that. But I would just um, challenge you to think about it. And if you're thinking, um, you know, again, this is coming back to election and predestination, which we, we looked at three, four weeks ago. It's in the text. It's there. This isn't a hobby horse of mine. It's just it's in the text. We, we have to, to wrestle with it. But many times I think people look at this and they immediately, it gets personal. And I understand this. You start thinking, what about my kids? They're not in church. They're rejecting Jesus. What about my friend? What about this person that's already passed away? And those are real, legitimate questions. But here is what 
I want to help you with. If I think that my kid's salvation is in their hands rather than his hands, I would rather have their salvation in a loving God who, who, who somehow out of his plan decided to bring me and my wife from uh, just, just deadness and darkness and bring us to life. He, he loves us so much. Okay, I trust him with my kids. I trust him with people that I love. But if I'm not trusting him for salvation, if it's on them, oh, oh, there's a problem. Because I know my own heart. I don't trust my own heart. If I chose God, I, I, I might one day not choose him again, but I might jump out of his hands. But if he chose me, he's got me, he's secure. This is the eternal security of the believer, and it's beautiful. And I think when you apply it to, to your loved ones, it gives you peace. It gives you peace because God loves you so much, and he knows your heart. And he knows when you're thinking about your child and you want for them to know him, he knows that and he wants it more than, they, than you do. He wants it purer than you do. Does this mean we, we don't evangelize? Of course not. It just means I can share the gospel. God has the results. God awakens a sinner. He brings them from death to life. We can trust it all with God. All right, let's go. Paul continues, and he's going to end this section talking about works. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Brothers and sisters, this is very important to get with Ephesians. Um, I'm going to ask another kind of quiz question. Do you, do you know how many imperatives are in Ephesians 1 to 3? An imperative is just a command. Ephesians 1 to 3, how many commands? Anyone, anyone remember? Okay, one. There's one, Elaine. There's one command in Ephesians 1 to 3. It is all about what God has done for us. And that one command is simply to remember what God has done for us. Paul doesn't start telling us what to do until chapter 4. But here he's talking about us being created for good works, and it's after just piling on grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, giving us no, even any wiggle room to say we had anything to do with it. Charles Spurgeon says this of this verse, the Lord has prepared the whole system of grace to this end, your good works, that you should abound in good works, do you long to be holy? The Holy Spirit is given to be your sanctifier. Do you desire to be near to God? The Holy Spirit dwells within you. This is a nearness to the highest order. Do you long to know God more? This precious book in your hand and its author among us is ready to expound it to you. 
Oh, but you may say you agonize to conquer sin. Even this is not denied you. Do you yearn to be more like Christ? You are taken into communion with him for this purpose. Everything you need for holiness is at your hand in the covenant of grace. Everything you need. You and I are a new creation. It says it right here in the text. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're a new creation in Christ. That image of God that was marred in the fall when we looked at Genesis is being remade in, in Christ, in you and I. We were made for these works. We were made to love God with our whole heart, mind, and soul, and it was prepared in advance for us to do. You were made to come to church on Sunday and worship the Lord. This was prepared in advance for you. Singing praises to God and moving you to tears. This good work was prepared in advance for you. Waking up in the middle of the night with your sick kid. That good work was prepared in advance for you. Sharing the gospel with a friend, it's been prepared in advance for you. Keeping yourself sexually pure, this has been prepared in advance for you. Keep, make it personal. Bringing a meal to Dave Pettit last week after he hurt his leg, this was prepared in advance for you. Giving Dave a ride to the hospital or a ride from the hospital, this good work was prepared in advance for you. Moms and dads engaging the hearts of your children when you don't want to, when you're tired. That's a good work. It was prepared in advance for you. Moms or dads cooking yet another meal in your home, doing the dishes, prepared in advance for you. Getting up and going faithfully to work again when you don't want to go. This was prepared in advance for you. Doing yet another load of laundry. This was prepared in advance for you. Psalm 139.16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. This is, the, this is the teaching of the Bible. Your days have been written. It doesn't mean you don't have free will to, to operate within those days, but they've been written, and there's a mystery, and we are never going to understand that mystery. But you've been made for this day. This day. Been made for it. For the day when Roe v. Wade is, is overturned, for the day when um, there's riots and, and, and racial tension and gender confusion and anger and political um, fighting, you've been made for this day. This day has been prepared for you. The day was made for you and you were made for the day. Brothers and sisters, you were dead, and God has made you alive. 
This is the most beautiful news anybody ever can hear. You were under his anger and his wrath, but now you were heirs to his fortune. You were blind, and now you see. And it's all to the praise of his glorious grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you as, as a body, all of us in different places. Lord, I know there are some here that, that don't even don't even know you, and they have not been made alive, and we pray that your spirit quicken their hearts to wake them up to the truths of God so they can sing your praises and see your beauty. Lord, I know there's others in here that, that are hurting and questioning your goodness. Pray that you comfort them Comfort them even with this last song, with your word, with another believer coming alongside them and loving them and praying with them. Lord, I pray that you unite this body, unite us in a love for you and a love for the gospel. Help us to go out into this world, into this, this crazy world that, that we find ourselves in right now and be salt and light and, and share the gospel and watch you move and, and bring people into your fold and bring them into to vintage faith fold, this, this church, and help us to love them and disciple them and disciple each other. God, you have blessed us beyond anything we ever deserve. Help us to truly grab hold of that truth. It will shatter all our discontentment if we just know at the bottom of our hearts that we were dead and by nature children of wrath. But now we are alive and we have been adopted into your family. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in with us. We hope that you found this sermon edifying, encouraging, and challenging. To learn more about Vintage Faith Church, visit vintagefaithcicero.com. And of course, if you live in the area, we invite you to worship the Lord with us on Sunday mornings.